Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word out of love, respect, and esteem. Acts chapter 17, we'll begin in verse 15. Those escorting Paul went with him all the way to Athens. Then they returned to Berea with instructions for Silas and Timothy to hurry and join him. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles. And he spoke daily in the public square and to all who happened to be there. He also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, what's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up? Others said, he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that America was not built on foreign gods but the one true God, creator of all things, His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for America. It's going to be celebrating its 242nd birthday. Lord, we pray that you would continue to pour out your grace upon this nation, for a nation is not unlike a family or an individual. We've all sinned and fallen short of your glory. But may we learn from our sins and our mistakes and repent of them. For there's still hope for our country. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would bless our land, bless our president, all that are in authority, all the houses of worship, bless the spiritual leaders speaking to the soul of this nation. May they speak fearlessly and with boldness and with a prophetic message. We pray and ask your mercy now in Jesus' name. And everyone said... You may be seated. God bless America. You know, if we want America to be a better place, some people are always complaining about America. My question to them is, what are you doing to make it a better place? You know, we all have to commit to MAGA, make America godly again. And that's the responsibility of the church to promote godliness, that we all might live a peaceful life in all God, quietness and godliness, the Apostle Paul said. That's the job of every Christian. That's what God has commissioned us to do. Uh, I love uh, our study here in the book of Acts. Paul's on his second missionary journey. Remember, he was in Berea last week. Those of you that are with us, he was preaching in the Berean Christians. We want to make sure everything he said was based on Scripture. Uh, the Thessalonians, uh, uh, the, the people in Thessalonia, they sent people to agitate uh, and to persecute Paul. So he had to get on a ship. Two individuals escorted him across the waters, across the sea, to the place called Athens. Paul lands in Athens. The individuals that escorted him go back to Berea to tell Silas and Timothy to get to Athens to meet up with Paul ASAP. So Paul is basically by himself in Athens. Who was Paul? Former Saul of Tarshish, a Pharisee of Pharisees of the tribe of Benjamin, concerning the law, flawless. He has an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he is gloriously saved, converted, filled with the Holy Spirit. His name eventually changes to Paul, who's now an apostle of Jesus Christ. As a Messianic Jew, all Jews hate graven images. Paul arrives in Athens, and he experiences 
holy agitation. That's the title of my message, holy agitation. Imagine a Jew who hates graven images in Athens. At the time that Paul arrives in Athens, many scholars say it, was, you would, it would be easier to meet a god than a person in Athens. There was something like 30,000 statues of idols in Athens. It was a wash in idolatry. And so I have three thoughts I want to share with you. And the first is agitation, holy agitation. In Acts chapter 17, verse 16, let's read this verse out loud together. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. His spirit was stirred within him. That word stirred, uh, paroxuno, this Greek word means to be incensed, it means to be angered, it means to be irritated or agitated. Paul, when he saw that the entire city was given over to idolatry, his spirit was troubled within him. His, his spirit, he experienced holy agitation. Now, was Paul mad at the Athenians? No. He was mad at the devil behind the idolatry that had deceived so many people in Athens. As it says in Revelation 12, 9, uh, the real enemy is the great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil, Satan, the one who is deceiving the whole world. As we sit here in church today, Satan is the archenemy, and he is busy deceiving right now the whole world. Many of you have friends and family members that have been deceived by that old serpent, the great dragon called the devil or Satan, our adversary and our enemy. We should never be mad at sinners. We should be mad at the devil that's behind the sin that is in our age. Now, how many of you uh, can remember when there were no washing machines and people had to wash by hand. Anybody at all? Do you remember? Maybe your grandmother? Anybody in this? In, in the classic service, we had like 20% of the hands went up. <laughs> uh, thank God for modern inventions, especially washing machines. You know, we have this new washing machine. I think they call it a front loader. I don't like it because it doesn't seem like it gets the clothes clean. It just like sprays water the whole time. I like the old-fashioned washing machines. Uh, I, I don't know what they're called, but the, you know, the the one you open the lid, and, and, and it would be full of water. And I'd see all the clothes in there swimming in the water. I'm like, they're getting clean. I don't mind putting those clothes on after it's all said and done. Nowadays, I don't know. I don't, I don't really trust it, right? Uh, now, we know that all washing machines have, a, they have cycles, right? right? They have what, the rinse cycle, the wash cycle, the rin, then a rinse cycle, and then a spin cycle. Now, if in the, in the middle of the process of your clothes getting clean, if you open up the washing machine, now they have locks on them, you know, like, but in the old days, right, you'd open it up, you'd see all the murky, dirty water, right? Because your clothes gets dirty, and so it needs to be washed, right? And, and if you just stop right there, you're like, man, throw this clothes out. Let's get some new clothes, right? I mean, look how dirty, like, but just wait, just wait, because it's in the middle of being clean, and it's in the cycle of agitation, right? All the water and the soap, and you should put a little shot of vinegar in there, whatever. You know, all of that's cleaning, 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 cleaning. And sometimes we have to wait till the cycle's finished, and it's rinsed and, sp and it's spun. Then we go, oh, now it smells fresh. Let's put it in the dryer. It's ready to, to be worn again. Our life sometimes is that way. We have to go through a cycle of agitation, 
because things won't be purged from our lives and things won't change unless we experience a cycle of agitation. You know, sometimes in marriages, you're going through a season of agitation, and if you look real close, you're like, there's nothing good in our marriage. Yes, there is. It just seems so murky and so, it's so uh, dirty, and, and it even smells right now. Well, that's okay. It's going through the process of agitation, and once it goes through the rinse cycle and the spin cycle, it's going to be all right. Businesses, churches, countries. We all have to go through the cycle of agitation. Things don't get clean. Things don't get purified and things don't get better unless we experience a season of agitation. And when the Apostle Paul arrives in Athens, he was just going to hang out for a couple of few days until Paul and Silas arrived. He was going to probably take a sabbatical there in Athens, right? Maybe go to the beach, you know, maybe eat some, Greek, some good Greek food. But while he's there, he can't get past the fact that the entire city is giving over to idolatry and his spirit was stirred within him. Is there anything that stirs your spirit today? And you look out at our world, at our culture, and you see that our society is awash in pornography. Does your spirit get agitated when you find out that 70% of men are addicted to pornography and how it's destroying the soul of our country? Is there anything that troubles your spirit? Is there anything that agitates you or aggravates you? And once again, we're not... We're not angry at people. We're angry at the devil that deceives so many people. We see a, a world given to abortion, the abuse of children, and, and, and the abuse of women, and sex trafficking, and, and all the evils, and legitimate racism. Legitimate racism in our world today. And be careful with that word. You know, the media likes to apply that to their political opponents. And every time they apply racism to someone that's not racist, Every time they do, they actually cheapen the true meaning and the true existence of racism in our world, where somebody looks down or hates another human being simply because of their ethnicity, simply because the color of their skin. How many know that that is a sin? How many know that we're all designer babies? We were all fearfully and wonderfully made, set apart in our mother's womb. Glory be to God. And when you came into this world, you had little to no say-so how and where you arrived, but God did. God did. We're going to learn here in just a moment uh, in Paul's sermon that he preaches here in Athens that we're all made from the same man, Adam. You know, we're all at the end of the day. We all look different and act different and, and dress different, but we're all of one blood where we all have the same daddy. You may not like your daddy. He's still your daddy, though. And Adam is the spiritual head, the father of all the human race. Turn to your neighbor and say, hello, brother or sister, whatever they are, brother or sister. You're one or the other, brother or sister. <sighs> Righteous anger. That's what I'm talking about. Like that, like that woman in California, September 5th, 1980, Candace Leitner. Her 13-year-old daughter was killed by a drunk driver. She got mad and started a movement called MAD, Mothers Against Drunk Drivers. It was her holy agitation, her holy anger that said enough is enough, and thank God, want to get something done? Hire a woman. Want to get something really done? Hire an angry woman. <laughs> yeah, they'll get it done, right? 
Man, and she channeled that anger, and she changed laws, and she raised awareness, and she made the streets of America, we got a long way to go, I know, but safer because of that holy agitation. What, what agitates you? What, what angers you? Paul was angry, not at the people, but at the devil behind the deception and the sin of his day. So, he goes to the synagogues to preach, because that was his custom. We've learned that, right? Shows up to a new town, first thing he does goes to the synagogue. Wherever you go, wherever you move, one of the first things you should do is find a good local church. Paul goes to the synagogue, and what does he do when he gets to the synagogue? He preached to the Jews that were there and the God-fearing Gentiles who had converted to Judaism because they wanted to serve the one true living God. And the Jews represented the one and only true and living God. So Gentiles that wanted to serve God would convert to Judaism and would attend a local Jewish synagogue. So you had Jews and Gentiles, and Paul went there and he preached Jesus, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. But he knew that if he wanted to reach the people of Athens, he wasn't going to be able to do it in the local synagogues. That's where it should start, but it shouldn't end there. Paul went to the civic center, the marketplace. He went to where the Jewish, where, where the Gentile Athenian people were living, and there he went to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. He preached Jesus' death, and he preached Jesus' resurrection to two particular groups of people, the Epicureans and the Stoics. They're the ones that were mentioned in the verses that we just read. Two groups of individuals. Who were the Epicureans? The Epicureans, they were philosophers, and their philosophy in life was they basically denied the existence of a creator, and they made the pursuit of pleasure their God. Not so much hedonism. They believed that life is about being happy, and if you wanted to be happy, you had to be virtuous. So much of what they taught was, was beneficial and helpful, but it was detached from faith in a living God. The second group of people that, that were there of the philosophers that were there, were the Stoics. Uh, the Stoics, they were adherents of Stoa, which it was a Greek name for a porch called the Painted Porch, and Zeno from Sidium was there, and he preached Stoicism, uh, the philosophy of that, to the people that would come and gather. And so the, the Stoics of that day, they glorified human reason. And a lot of their reasoning or a lot of their logic is good. Now, how many of you know if something's true, it's true? And if, it's, if it really is true, if it's really true, objective truth, okay, it's traceable all the way back to God because he, God, the Bible speaks of the veracity of God, of the truthfulness of God, that God is true. And so all that is true comes from God. God is truth. Jesus is truth. One day, Pilate looked at Jesus and he said, what is truth? And at that moment, truth was staring him in the face because truth is not so much a principle as truth is a person. It's Christ, the embodiment of truth. Jesus said he was the way, the truth, and the life. So if it's true, it's traceable back to God. Whether the people talking about that truth give God the credit or not, it's still true. So there's a lot of truth in philosophy even though the originators may not give God the glory of that. So here's the Apostle Paul, a Jew from the Holy Land. He's now in the Holy Land of the ideal, Athens, and they hate idolatry, and, that, and Athens is awash in idolatry, and all of a sudden he brings this strange doctrine, this strange teaching. Jesus, born of a virgin, had to die on a cross for the sins of the world, was buried, but 
on the third day was raised from the dead. <laughs> and the, the Stoics, the Epicureans, the philosophers, they all gathered to hear some new concept every day. That was their entertainment. This is something brand new. And people accuse Paul of being a babbler. We just read it. Who is this babbler? What's this, what's this strange doctrine? What are these strange ideas? They thought it was ludicrous. They thought it was laughable. People that didn't believe in an ultimate creator, ultimate deity. They had thousands upon thousands of gods, right? People that worshipped uh, human logic. This gospel sounds so illogical, right? That's why Paul later in writing to the Corinthians said, not many wise, not many noble, not many mighty, but God has chosen the foolish of this world to confound the wise, to confound their wisdom. So they called Paul a babbler. That was a derogatory term. It literally meant a seed picker. It was a slang term for deplorable parasites who, like ignorant fowl, would pick up scraps to eat off the floor. It also referred to poor farmers of that day who would pick up grain that they would find in the marketplace, old, unusable grain. They would pick it up. They would take it back and plant it in their gardens. This is the term that they use to describe the Apostle Paul. So my first thought is there has to be holy agitation. The second is, the second thought is assurance. What can we be assured of? Well, in Acts 17, beginning again in verse 19, and they took him and they brought him to the Areopagus and saying, may we know what this new teaching that you are presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears we wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians and all the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling and hearing something new. So, Paul, standing in the midst of uh, the uh, Areopagus, he, he said, I, want, I walked by and I saw this altar with the inscription to the unknown God. How interesting. Now, in this sermon Paul's about to preach, he never quotes Scripture, but it is very scriptural. I want to say that again. This sermon we're about to follow, read, study, that Paul preached 2,000 years ago to the Athenians. He never quotes a scripture, but it's scriptural. Now, why doesn't he quote scripture? He knows his audience. He knows who he's preaching to. First of all, they, they don't believe the Bible. They've, they've never heard the Bible. If he quotes the Bible, they don't think it has any authority over them. So he's going to come in through a back door, and he's going to preach the uncompromised gospel of Jesus Christ brilliantly without quoting a single scripture. But what he does, he relates to them. He says, and he, and he doesn't do this in a, in a belittling way, like they belittled him, some babbler, some seed picker. No, Paul later wrote to Timothy and he said, in humility, correct those who are wrong. Peradventure, God would grant them repentance. In humility, correct those whose thinking is wrong, whose lifestyles are wrong, that, peradventure, God would grant them repentance. So Paul is going to be, he, he's going to be creative here. He, in the moment, Holy Spirit gives him words to speak, right? He sees this altar with the inscription to the unknown God. And he says, what therefore you worship as unknown, and the Greek word is, agnostic, is where we get the word agnostic from, which you know is unknown, this I proclaim to you. So what's he going to proclaim them? He's going to proclaim the God that's unknown to them, that's known to Paul, that has made himself 
known and wants to make himself known to the world. Pause. Time out. Let me ask you a question. What is your philosophy of life? We all have a philosophy. Did you know we're all philosophers? Everyone in here, you are a bona fide philosopher because you have a belief system you live by. Turn to your neighbor and say, you look like a philosopher. Go on, just tell you. You look very philosophical. (laughs) All right, now follow me. Philosophy comes from a Greek word, philosophia, where we get the word Sophia, we get the word wisdom from. So what is philosophy? It's, it's the love of wisdom. It's the investigation of truth and nature. That's what philosophy basically is. So everybody has a philosophy by which they live their life. In Colossians 2.8, let's read it out loud together. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. This is Paul writing to the Colossians in the, in the, to the, city, in the city of Colossae. He says, don't buy in to the human nonsense, the philosophies of man that are detached from Christ. Now, what are some philosophies in life? I, I thought of a few through my lifetime that some people live by. One of them is, eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. That's just this party, you know, the world's ending anyway. That's, that's the philosophy of many people. How about this one? He that dies with the most toys wins. That's the philosophy of many people. Uh, Alice Roosevelt Longsworth said, I have a simple philosophy. Fill what's empty, empty what's full, and scratch where it itches. How about this philosophy? Life's like a piano. You get out of it. What you get out of it depends on how you play it. That's that's a pretty good one. Or how about this one? Life has no remote. Get up and change it yourself. That's a pretty good philosophy. We can agree with that one. And possibly the most well-known, famous philosophy in the world has just three words. What do you think the most famous, world-famous philosophy that everybody knows It happens to be, I'll give you a hint. Who said what? Come on, just three words. There you go. You guys are almost as smart as the classic, or or last night. They got it like real quick last night. Just do it. It's more than an athletic slogan for Nike. It's a philosophy of life, and there is quite a bit of truth behind that. But here are some real philosophies. Nihilism. What's nihilism? It's, It's the denial of meaning. And then there's uh, essentialism, which is everything means something, but then nothing means anything. (laughs) Secular humanism, uh, which is naturalism, that's rejection of God, man is basically God. Hedonism is a philosophy that many people live by, which is the pursuit of pleasure, that happiness is derived from pleasure, and that pleasure itself has its own intrinsic value, and that's really the goal in life. if, If it feels good, do it, right? Hedonism. Marxism which is the cousin, brother, sister, father, mother of socialism and communism. They're all pretty much alike. Marxism believes in no classes. We're, we're, all, we're all equal. In the eyes of God, we're all equal. In the eyes of giftedness and talent and merit, we're not. But Marxism believes government is God and government controls all. Taoism is another philosophy focused on living a simple, balanced life in harmony with nature. Relativism is the philosophy. Relativism, relativism does not believe in any absolute truth, 
Truth is not objective, truth is subjective. Therefore, relativism is alive and well in America today and in public schools today. Uh, your version of truth, my version of truth, uh, truth is not objective, it's not based on fact, it's not based on biology. Now, truth can be a social construct, which means if you feel like you're a boy today, you can be a boy today. If you feel like you're a girl tomorrow, you can be a girl tomorrow because it's not based on biology, it's not based on science, it's not based on theology. It's based subjectively on how you feel and how you think. That is a pervasive philosophy in our society today. And then there's Buddhism, which teaches the four noble truth, truths, which basically existence is suffering. But one person said, philosophy about life without Christ can be compared to a blind man in a dark room looking for a black hat, which is not there. So your philosophy has to be based on Christ. I love what John Blanchard said. He said, philosophy is the search for truth. In Jesus, the search ends. <laughs> in Jesus, the search of all things end because he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life, he's the only way to the Father, he's God in human form. Base your beliefs on that. Now, Paul doesn't use scripture, but his message is scriptural. So let's begin. He has like three points to his message to the Athenians. It's not a long message. It begins in verse 24, and the first thought is God, the unknown God that I want to make known to you, he is creator. Number one, he is creator. Verses 24, uh, beginning verse 24, he is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he's Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples, and human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. Who is this unknown God? How can you know this unknown God? Who is? How would you describe the unknown God to make that unknown God known to the Athenians? Paul says, number one, the God I'm preaching to you today is the creator of all things. That's the most fundamental truth about who God is. If somebody asks you today, who's, who's God? How would you describe him? Well, God is love. Yes, that's his nature. God is life. Yes. God is light. Yes. But the most fundamental truth about God is he is the creator of all things. He is the source of all life in all of the universe. And now, that was a foreign concept to the Athenians, that there is like one intelligent being that created all things. And what Paul was preaching was Christian monotheism, the belief in one singular God, creator of all things, which went cross-grained to the polytheism of that day, which was the belief of many gods, and pantheism, which was the belief that everything was God. The rocks, the stones, the trees, the water, you and me, were all God. Pantheism. Paul preached monotheism. He preached one God, creator of all things. But not only is this one God, the unknown God that I'm making known to you today, the creator, number two, this God is the governor. He's the one in control of all things. Look at verse 26, beginning verse 26 now. From one man, he created all the nations. Did you get that? From one man. Who's that one man? Adam. The entire world came through that one man. 
So your daddy's 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 daddy, your daddy's dad, that daddy's daddy, your dad, our daddy, it all goes back to Adam. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are my brother or you are my sister. You're my brother, you're my sister. Okay, so from one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. Whoo! His purpose, God had a purpose behind all of this, his purpose for the nations was to seek out, that they would seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Though he's not far from any of us. For in, now, Paul doesn't quote scripture, but he quotes one of their pagan poets. For in him we live and move and exist, as some of your own poets have said. We are his offspring. And since this is true, because if it's true, if it's truly true, all truth goes back to God. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. How could you reduce this glorious God, creator of all things, how could you reduce him to a little statue made of wood or stone or silver or gold? And and how can you confine him to a temple? You can't. Now, this blew a gaping hole into into the false belief of their philosophies that God made everything, listen, and God manages everything. God is the founder, CEO, and president, and owner of all things, and all people, and all nations. He holds all the controlling shares of planet earth. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. All the gold and all the silver and all the cattle on a thousand hills, the Bible says. God owns it all. He made it all, and he owns it all, and he doesn't have any needs, and there's nothing we can do for him, but there's everything he can do for us. He satisfies our needs, Paul said. Woo! And then number three, number three, he's judge. Creator, governor, and this is what's going to rock the boat now for all these Athenians listening to Paul's message. Verses 30 and 31. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things. One translation says he winked at it. In times past, God winked at the stupidity and the ignorance of all the people in the world in earlier times. But now, but now, say that with me, but now. Now God commands, he's not asking, he's not begging, God's commanding that everyone, everywhere, should repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day. Uh Uh-oh. He, God, has set a day. Could be today. Could be tomorrow. Next week, next month, next year. God has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed, Jesus and prove to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. The ultimate judge of all the earth is God the Son, Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior. (laughs) Woo! Because he conquered death, hell, and the grave. Isn't it interesting that God dealt leniently with people during this period of ignorance, Paul called it. 
But now God's commanding every man everywhere, post the cross, post the resurrection of Jesus Christ, B.C., not B.C., but A.D., that every man everywhere, and that includes every woman, they must repent. There's no more excuses, no more excuses to rebel and sin against God. And my final thought is acceptance. Paul preached this message. He didn't quote scripture, but it was extremely scriptural. And the final thought is the acceptance part of it. Look at verse 32. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, like today. Some mock. They hear the gospel message, they mock. But others said, we will hear you again about this. This is interesting. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed. Thank God for those of you that have heard the gospel and you are on the belief side, not the mocking side, on the belief side. You see, every pastor, every preacher has a holy agitation. It's my job to separate the goats from the sheep. It's my job to make sure that all of you are in the sheep line on that final day. Amen? I don't want you in the goat line. And if you happen to end up in the goat line, don't point your finger and blame me because every weekend I preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I gave you an opportunity to repent and accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. Now, I know there are some goats in this church. Okay, not in this service, but in the next one. There'll be some. I tell you, I'll find them. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> Can we put that scripture back up, please? Uh, the last one. Some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dion, Dionys, Dion's Pizza, <laughs> the Arapagite, and a woman named Demarius. That's a pretty name, isn't it? And others with them. They believed. You know, when Jesus died, he died between two thieves, right? The Bible says that. It's not urban legend. One thief mocked him, the other believed. One thief rebuked the other thief for mocking Jesus. He said, don't you know we belong to be here, but not this man. He's innocent. He's sinless. And then that thief turned to Jesus and said, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, will you remember me? And Jesus turned to that man and said, today you'll be with me in paradise. What will, yes. What will you hear on that final day? Depart from me, I never knew you. God forbid. Like that beautiful testimony Diana told, that four-year-old, now I know. Now I know. Jesus is in my heart. Will you hear, depart from me, I never knew you, or well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter in to the eternal kingdom that your father rejoices in his ability to give that to you. That's what God has for you if you'll repent. And God commands everyone everywhere to repent. You must accept the gift of acceptance. You must accept the gospel of Jesus Christ. So our, our response should be four things. Number one, stop all idolatry. And idolatry comes in so many forms. We can make any, any good thing can become a God thing in our life. So it, idolatry is not just bowing to some statue. It could be so many things. Stop all idolatry. 
Number two, repent, which means have a change of heart. God is after inward transformation. So many churches, people are just involved in religious window dressing. We want true, heartfelt renting of our hearts and not of our garments. God wants us to have a new heart, a new spirit, and a new start. And if we'll repent, if we'll do an about face, if we'll do a 180 and we'll turn from sin and turn to God, oh, he's so gracious. He's so compassionate. He's so loving. He is your creator. He's your loving heavenly father. Please know that. Which means, number three, we always have hope. No matter where you've been, no matter where you're at, no matter your struggles, no matter your battles, your fights, your hurts, your disappointments, your sorrows, friend, there's always hope. In God, in Christ, there's always hope. Jesus lives. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. The resurrection is real. As real now as it was 2,000 years ago when Paul preached this message. And finally, number four, judgment day is coming. God has set a day. It's coming. Will you and I be ready? Every head bowed, please. Every eye closed. Father, we humbly come before you today, and we thank you for our study here in the book of Acts, the 17th chapter, as it concludes. Thank you for speaking to us through these historical events as they unfolded 2,000 years ago. Thank you for the divine spiritual truth that was real then, that it's still real today. Holy Spirit, may his word, may the word find a home in our hearts. And may we not simply be hearers, but doers of it. Lord, what would you have me do with this message in my life today? Now, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, or you need to rededicate your life to Jesus, Jesus is standing at the door of your heart knocking. You simply need to invite Christ to come into your life. How do I do that? Repent of your sins. The Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart in God, raise him from the dead, you will be saved. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. The rest of us are going to pray this prayer out loud with you. If you want to commit or rededicate your life to Christ, I want you to say this prayer. Say it with your own mouth. Mean it from your own heart. Here we go. Dear God in heaven, I know I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. There's only one Savior. His name is Jesus. I call upon you, Jesus. I ask you now, come into my heart. Come into my life. Be my Lord and be my Savior. I turn from sin to the true and living God. I receive his love, his grace, and his forgiveness. Dear God in heaven, you're now my father, and I am your child. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit and give me strength to live for you and serve you all the days of my life, beginning today for the rest of eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Can we thank the Lord together, church family? Awesome.